when you see a trader positioned, you feel like, oh my god, that must be like doing some like hedging job, or like you guys must be like sitting with a lot of screen. Like we do have a lot of screen, but like we are still engineers mainly, even though we are trading. So it's still important to understand the mechanism behind the energy. There's one really fun example. I think it was last year the price goes negative in the in assistance. That's because the next day the solar production was too much. So when price goes negative, that means when you are using electricity, they are actually paying you. So it's like you're not paying for using electricity. You are actually getting paid by turning on your heater stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. So that was that's I I really enjoy it. Like I think energy market is super fun. Welcome back to the Fresh Engineer podcast, where fresh engineers share their stories. I'm your host and mechanical engineer Anna Reich, and in today's episode, I'm talking to Yu Xuan Li, who is an energy engineer and nuclear engineer from Taiwan, working as a renewable energy portfolio manager at the company Fortune in Stockholm, Sweden. We actually met at an international hackathon called the Energy Efficiency Hackathon, where we ended up on the same team and, of course, won. <laughs> And then we realized that we're both based in Stockholm and that's how we became friends. In our conversation, we talk about what energy engineering and nuclear engineering is and why she decided to go into that field, what it was like for her to move from Taiwan to Europe, what the work of an energy trader looks like and how to tell when it's time to switch to a new job. So I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. I wanted to go all the way to the beginning of you <laughs> and ask you, yeah, where are you from? Where did you grow up? Um, what were you like as a kid? Okay, so I'm from Taiwan, and when I was a kid, I think I'm uh, on the more shy profile, but I'm always curious about like things happening around, and I'm also a bit competitive towards sports or like schools as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. cool. And then in high school, what were your favorite subjects there? It's kind of interesting. Uh, my my high school, I studied for girls' high schools. So there's only girls in my class and I really enjoy it somehow. It's also nice to only have single gender there. Uh, but of course, we have some teachers there, uh, male. Mm -hmm. But um, I think my favorite subject is physics. I really enjoy solving the questions there and understand what is actually behind the equations, behind each theory. And that's actually happening like in your daily life. Yeah, that's my favorite subject. Since you like physics, is that also what got you interested in engineering? I think so, kind of. And because I think in physics, there's one small chapter they talk about like in more like atomic level physics. So there's also talking about nuclear reactions, stuff like that. And that sort of linked to my study afterwards. Mm -hmm. Because I study, I choose kind of uh, into nuclear science or nuclear materials. Mm. Uh, when I was doing my batch. So then when you graduated from high school, mm -hmm. was there anything else that you considered or how did you decide what to go into? Yes, it's a bit different from here in Europe. I think back in Asia or in uh, East Asia, it's mainly about your grades. So before the university, you do a really big like national exam. Uh, you have two chances. And then the first one is you do the exam and then you do an interview. Mm -hmm. uh, and you have like maybe... A But at that time, it's like five options and you have a priority list. And to be honest, in like Taiwanese culture, you need to probably get into a good school first. And then it's like you have more chance to get a good job based on where you graduated. 
your subject doesn't matter so much. So people are uh, aiming to get into the best school first, and maybe they will switch the subject afterwards. So by then, there was also a lot of dilemma in my mind, like, should I choose the subject that I like, or should I choose the school that rank the best, but maybe I cannot get into the best, like the the subject that I like in the school. And afterwards, uh, after some discussion, I back then I think about study for physics, uh, material science, I think because I also studied for medical subjects back then. So I think I also tried to be uh, in the medical school mm. in one of the university in Taiwan. Yeah, then and that's my priority list. And then I think I got into two, and one of them is the one that I study for uh, material science and the uh, energy engineer. Okay. So what was your experience like studying it? Were you happy with your choice? Mm-hmm. And was it how you expected it to be, or was it different? It was, uh, I think I really liked my subject at that time, like the, the major that I have, because it's a new program. It's an interdiscipline program, so it's somewhere similar to you have two minors, Mm-hmm. Uh, while you're studying. So first you can choose between environmental uh, engineering or energy engineering. So I choose energy. And then the second one, you can choose freely uh, any kind of subject you like in the school or any department. So you can even choose art, accounting, finance, history, stuff like that. And back then I chose material science. Uh, one <laughs> one of more shallow side of the uh, decision making is because my school the material science ranks the best in Taiwan, so they are really good at it. And also Taiwan's focus on semiconductors. So material science is also really important back then. So if I choose that, I have much more resources from the teacher side and also much more connection to the world's industry. Hmm. So that's one of the reasons I choose it. And just uh, jumping a little bit back, is there any advice you would have for high school students who might want to go into engineering, but they're not sure if it's for them? How can they decide? I think it's really difficult to understand what you want when you just graduate from high school, especially you haven't stepped into the university environment yet. I think it's just maybe don't be afraid to quit if mm. there's some subject that you don't like. Like you, maybe you have a really beautiful image in the beginning. Like, oh my God, I'm going to be a super like technical guy or I'm going to be super good at programming. And then once you actually touch it and you don't you feel like oh it's not what you imagined then it's also fine to quit it and usually in the university you have some chances to participate in other courses from different departments and i also did that when i was studying like i just choose a course and and to see if i actually interested in it or not and if i don't i think you in, in taiwan we have like three weeks and you can try it out and if you don't like it just quit the subject and you can just change it and i think that's it's the best way to try or to understand if you like it or not. And also maybe talk to your professor, talk to your seniors, talk to the alumni. Usually they are super welcoming and really willing to share their experience. And also get as much as opportunity if you can. Like if they're like a company visiting, just go for it. If companies coming to your university, having a job fair or something like that. Just also go there and ask as much as you want. And yeah, I think that's my like suggestion. Like, don't be afraid to stop something and change. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, could you explain a little bit more about what material science and uh, energy engineering is? 
Uh, it's actually really difficult to, to explain it because these two subjects, they are both super broad. Like material sciences cover so many things uh, in the material. It could be linked to physics. It could be linked to chemic chemical engineering, mechanical engineering as well. Like So when you're testing the performance of the materials. And also sulfur energy engineering because it's related to all thoughts kind of en energy. So I would say my study is not super specific in a way. For the first two years, we study something more in a general level. And for the third and fourth year, uh, you can choose which trait you want to focus on. Uh, for instance, I focus on corrosion for materials. Uh, that also links to why I study uh, nuclear materials afterwards. Yeah, so it's really difficult to... But it's more like um, saying how materials perform, under, uh, understand how phase changes in materials. And for energy, it's also more like understand um, each kind of energy sources, how they generate it in a more fundamental level. And then you can choose the track you want to focus on, mm. either on wing energy, solar energy, nuclear energy, stuff like that. And what did you find the most difficult about your studies? It's like I think link back to the question before, it's it's really broad. So you feel like you are not learning everything into a really deep but it's also so you you feel like, oh, I didn't understand everything thoroughly. Mm. Uh so you may might feel like less confidence compared to the others who study for computer science and they just focus on one thing and they are really good at it. But on the other hand, we are more like um, thinking horizontally. So if you think about assistance, that's easier for us. But if you only think about one technology, that's a bit difficult for us. So it's kind of like um, double side. It just depends on how you think about it. It's like, of course, you're going to think about you're less than people in the beginning. But I think it could be a strength as well. And what advice would you give someone to get through engineering school specifically for you know, energy and material engineering. I think the the difficult part is you need to admit that an engineer is to do something that is practical and to solve problems. So to understand what kind of tools you can use is important. And you need to embrace the fact that you probably won't come up with a new theory or you probably won't come up with a, like something out of nowhere. But the strength you are going to have is You're going to understand a lot of knowledge based on someone else already built. And on top of that, you're going to solve a problem. After your bachelor, you decided to directly do your master studies, right? Yes. So how did you decide to do your master and then also what kind of master to do? So I choose nuclear materials for my master degree. One of the reasons is that we need to do a bachelor thesis at the fourth grade. And I choose to do focus on corrosion materials for in nuclear uh, engineering use. So then there's a professor that I joined uh, his lab and I really enjoying the lab and I really also like the topics a lot. So then I decided, so I'm gonna just continue uh, doing my thesis with like master thesis with him also. I think it's a really smooth trans transition or just like step up for me because if you stay in a sand lab, you have much more opportunity than people coming outside from other departments. 
So between my bachelor and master, I go for some like summer schools because I already know the topics really well and I also know the, the lab really well. So that's that's one of the reasons that I choose to do it. Could you also go a little bit into what nuclear engineering is? Yes, it's also <laughs> really big because if you think about um, from the more practical side, if you think about nuclear power plants, it's combined so many things together. First of all, in the reactor, you have reactions, nuclear reactions. That's more on the physics side. And then after the reaction, you generate the heat that goes to the turbine that comes to the um, thermodynamics or mechanical engineering side. And then if you, if you talk about the safety of the power plants, that's another top, uh, subject. And if you talk about the materials, because in nuclear power plants or in nuclear reactions, it's always high pressure and high temperature. So the characteristic of the material will change like a lot also based on the radiation. So the, 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 the atoms inside the material also change differently based on the room temperature situations. It's also cover a lot of different things in nuclear science or nuclear engineering. And what I choose to focus on is the nuclear materials, the corrosion behavior for the materials when they are in a really high temperature. Back then, I did my bachelor's thesis for supercritical water reactors. So if the water goes to the supercritical stage, how the materials going to react to it? Mm. Um, that's one of the topics. And then for my master's thesis, I did the corrosion like study for the spent fields of mu nuclear, so the waste from the nuclear power plants, and you put it in a, a cam, mm -hmm. in a metal cam. And then in Taiwan, we put this metal cam, or we call it dry storage, and we put it nearby the coast. And then, so I study the materials, how it's gonna be uh, degraded based on the environment there, and then how the materials gonna perform. And this, this is the topic that I focus on. So in summary, it's really brought up it as well in nuclear engineering, even though it sounds like, oh, it's only one type of energy resources, but it's also really broad. And then you started working as a research assistant at the university, right? Yes, after my master's study. Mm. Um, there's some reason for that. Uh, first is after I finish my master's study, it's a bit limited where you what you can do if you only focus on nuclear science or nuclear engineering in Taiwan. First thing is we are facing out nuclear power. Uh, so that's less and less power plants that is gonna uh, be operative. Mm. So either you go to a energy company, power company for working in the power plants, or you stay in the academic. Mm. So one of the reasons I decided to go be, uh, to become a research assistant in the school first is because I want to know what how academic work if I stay there and if I want to study a doctor degree or not because that's also a lot of people's choices to, to go for after that and another reason is I want to study abroad so it's also nice to be there in a more stable uh, environment uh, not so much intense work that you need to handle so and I have spare time to prepare for my application to study mm -hmm. abroad. Yeah. Okay. And so then you went to Sweden. So that's your study. Oh, 
abroad. Maybe I can link to another previous experience. So one one really good thing that I like in my um, master degree is I also have a lot of opportunity to do some visiting in other places and join mm-hmm. conference. So I did one internship in Switzerland. And for like three, four months in the research institute as well, and also focusing on material, uh, nuclear materials science. And back then, I just fall in love with working there. And Switzerland is just so beautiful, and I like the work-life uh, balance there. It's so different from Taiwan that you need to work extra hours if you work for the like semiconductor industry or something like that. So then I decided like I want to work in Europe. So it's better to have a degree in Europe first. And as, and another reason is like, I think I was too focused on nuclear uh, engineering and nuclear energy. Mm. And I'm also interested in some other renewable energy, not only nuclear energy. So then I want to study the whole system in STEM. So that links to my next master degree. So I study uh, energy, sustainable energy systems in Barcelona and in Sweden. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so then what went into preparing for that move? Mm-hmm. Now, how did you decide where to go, which program to choose, mm-hmm. and how did you get in? Yeah. And how did, like, what went? Yeah. What else? Oh, because it was probably a lot. <laughs> it was a lot. Oh my gosh. Like, first of all, as a non English native spoken people, um, you need to prepare for the English test. Like, that's TOEFL. Uh, and it's, uh, I mean, to be honest, like nobody likes it. It's like kind of a annoying process. Like you just need to follow templates and you need to kind of prepare it for it. So yeah, then I prepare for the TOEFL test. And for my program, which I really like, is you need to study in two different countries, in two different schools. Uh, and you have a lot of opportunity uh, to meet the industry. So I, I study for the Inno Energy program. Also, my one of the, one of the focus for my program is there's one business schools involved. So we also have around two months business school study uh, in Barcelona, and I think in that way we are more linked to uh, business oriented, and you understand the market a little bit more. So that's why I choose this program. And for applying this program, you need to. Uh, do a video, mm, yeah, to introduce yourself, to kind of pitch yourself for three minutes or something like that. So I was writing scripts and ask my friends who is really good at filming and do some like magic for me. <laughs> and yeah, we try really, uh, our best to do that. But one really tricky thing is like you need to have your TOEFL um, grades on time. So I, the first time I applied for it, I applied twice. The first time I applied for it, I missed the deadline. So my TOEFL is uh, great, did not arrive on time. So I missed the deadline. So I cannot apply for it. So I need to wait for the second round. So that's those things. Like if you really want to study abroad, maybe it's good to start preparing for your English exam as soon as possible. And then after that, I think you also need to like reference letters from either your professor or someone know you really well. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's also important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's basically the process for application. But I don't own, I apply for more than one school at the same time. Yeah, I'd love to hear what it was like for you to study in Spain and Sweden, mm-hmm. coming from Taiwan mm-hmm. and both the university system, but also maybe the life around it. 
between these three locations. Uh, I think Barcelona and Sweden, they are a bit similar, but they are really different from Taiwan. In Taiwan, I think it's much more credits you need to fulfill. And I, in there, I'm more comfortable. Uh, I have my own group. I have my own friend zones. I understand the culture a lot. So uh, everything seems easier. But then in first year, I was in Barcelona. That's my first time to study abroad. So using different language to study as well and meeting friends, like because our program is international. So I'm mm. also meeting a lot of classmates from different cultures. So in the beginning, you have a lot of things to learn besides of your schools. But in Barcelona, even though it's a super international city, students there tend to have their own local community already. So it's a little bit difficult for international students to join their events. And they also don't have like a local student that hosts events for international students. So for instance, like if they have some companies come to, come to the school and try to show their uh, like career opportunity and stuff like that, they are usually in Catalan or Spanish. So it's like we kind of missing out the opportunity there. But in Sweden, it's different level of like international wise. And I re- what I really like in Sweden is they have like a student community who host uh, international events for international people. In that way, I think we feel more included in a school. That's the student life. But in Spain, the study there, mm, I think it's more like a project oriented. Like you don't have... To, that much exams it's more like you work on the project and you like present the project in the end and teacher are uh, just graded based on the project and i really love the professor there they are super friendly and not easy to approach they are like your friends they like usually between the class break they stay and then they talk to you extra about your life stuff like that so it's like kind of like south european myself like super friendly so I, I really like that but in sweden the study it's also not super like um, theoretical i will say it's even less theoretical compared to in barcelona but i think the professor here are also super nice yeah compared to the the professors in Taiwan, they are, you, you can see the hierarchy between students and professor in mm-hmm. Asia. Like, I think it's really clear, like they are a little bit untouchable. But then here it's like more, much more friendly and they have their opening hours all the time. You can just shoot them emails and visit them, asking questions. I remember I have a professor from uh, KTH, like he even offering you like, oh, if you want special lectures, like I can do that for you as well, stuff like that. How was it like for you to look for your first job after the second master's degree? Yes, I think uh, it's really important for students if you are you want a job right after your master's degree. It's really important for you to have at least an internship. Hmm. Or at least you do thesis with some company if you want to jump into industry, for sure. If you want to stay in academic, maybe not necessary. But if you want to jump into industries, you should probably find an internship first or do your thesis with uh, any company that you like. Because it's really important to have connection here, at least in Sweden, that I know uh, they will appreciate to hire someone that they already know. Mm. Yeah, Is that what you did as well? Yes, that's what I did because I did my thesis with my company, current company now. 
And then there's another opportunity open up when I about to finish my thesis. So then I just applied for that and got it. So you had a job right out of the university, right? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what was that job? Um, yeah. yeah. How did you like it? Yes. <laughs> so it was actually interesting uh, story because I was doing my thesis in my current company and I have two supervisors from two different departments. And when I was about to finish my thesis, one of my supervisors said, oh, say, told me like, oh, so I'm going to quit really soon. I said, what? <laughs> Are you going to keep continuing supervising my thesis? And she was super nice. She said, yeah, I talked to my next boss and he said, that's fine. I'm going to super just keep helping you out, but I'm going to leave the position really soon. Mm-hmm. And then, so her position was opened. Then I applied for her position. <laughs> and I was lucky to get it because like the, the team already knew me. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And what was that role? Uh, it's a spot trader. So it sounds a bit weird, I think, because it's a, a, my company is an energy utility company, but then we also do electricity trading. Mm-hmm. So we do spot trading. That means uh, day ahead trading. So one day ahead, we do the trades. So that's how... We call it, it's called spot trader, but we are trading for consumption. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? It means, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's always the question. The people are always like, what? You're a trader? Like, can you trade electricity? But in, so something really interesting to know back in Taiwan, we cannot trade electricity because we only have one company. It's called Thai Power Company. They do, they con- basically control everything. They are doing transmission, distributions, also set out the price for you. Mm. But in Europe, it's different. And in Nordic, we are talking about Finland, Norway, Sweden, Denmark, all together. It's a free market, so you can trade electricity. So if you are a producer, you produce energy and you put it in the market and you're a consumer, then you demand how much you want to buy. And what I'm doing is like I'm doing the trades one day ahead. So I need to forecast uh, how much is our customer needs to consume for the next days. So customer in terms of like industry customer or like um, household like you or like anyone can sign up a contract with us. Mm-hmm. And then we forecast or predict your consumption for the next day. And there's going to be a lot of other company. They also forecast their productions and then. You have demand and supply curve, and then you have the price set. And my company, they are producer and also provider as well, both way. Yeah. Hmm. And that's your current role? I am still in the same thing, but now I have different role as a portfolio manager. So it's more like I need to take care more projects and I need to be closer to our clients. So in my daily job, I either have two tasks. One of them is I do the trades. So I do the trading, like the operative trading mm-hmm. uh, one day before the, 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 the event actually happens. Or other uh, also or other tasks, like I follow up projects, I'm managing projects, I talk to clients, they could be like wind farm or some industry clients, they need to buy energy and they want to maybe fix a contract, which is maybe beneficial for them, but also beneficial for us because we know that we can sell so stuff like that. So it's a bit different, but I'm still doing the trading job. Okay. Mm-hmm. And could you s- explain a little bit what your typical work day looks like? And, you know, what are you wearing? Where are you working? And what do you do? Okay. 
Yeah, actually living really close by to my office, which is really nice. I can bike there in 15 minutes or so. And my company located in Sona, it's more like a office area, uh, a little bit outside of the Stockholm. And we don't have any dress code in the office, but people tend to wear like more, maybe a little bit semi-formal. Yeah, for more dressing. So as I said, I have two different tasks before, uh, like uh, every day. So if I'm doing the trades, the operative work, it's really timing crucial. You need to finish everything before a lunchtime for next day. So you need to start early, like at eight, and then do all the process and make sure you have everything correct before lunchtime. Because if you have one number like miss or something, it's going to cost a lot <laughs> for the trading. It's gonna like we are talking about millions euro stuff like that. So it's a it's a bit stressful job uh, to be honest. Like for the first three months, I had nightmares like all the time. It's like oh, I don't want to miss like mess up anything. But yeah, that's when you are doing operative work, and then after lunch time, uh, you have the results from the trade, and you solve the result, do some reports, stuff like that. And if I if I'm not operative. I can work from home, um, but I, I I really love to go to the office because I love to talk to my colleagues like in person and you got feedback more directly and also hang out with the colleague. I think that's really important. So if I'm doing that, I just need to be in the office um, around 8.30ish and then you can I can decide if I want to sit with my team or not or I can just sit by myself because we have a floating seat in the office. And yeah, and I usually finish around five. And do you have any need for Swedish or can everything be in English that you work? Uh, no, uh, you don't really need Swedish. Uh, you need to keep in mind like most of them are Swedish. <laughs> so when they have when we have lunch break or when we have FICA break, it's always they are talking in Swedish. That's the most comfortable language mm. for them. Yeah. What is your favorite part and least favorite part of your job? Mm. It's tricky. <laughs> um, I really like my colleague. Uh, they are super nice, friendly, driven. Like I have never experienced in my com current company that people are not like hiding something. Like they don't want to share information with you. That never happens. And we always help out each other. And they are really humble as well. Like if they don't know something, they just admit it. And they will ask like, so can you teach me? And if I need something, I know where to go as well. Mm. That's the best part of it. And there's also a lot of opportunity in my company it's because it's relatively big company. So they have different, a lot of different units. And they sort of also encouraging you to do the rotation. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, for instance, if I like, I I actually feel stuck in, a little bit in the beginning of my first row. After maybe a year or one and a half year, I feel like oh, there's not so much that I can improve, or I don't feel challenging enough at my current road. So then they have a new opportunity pop up, and I apply and I try, and then they also encourage you to try. Mm. So I think that's really good. But the least favorite part is also it's a big company so there's a lot of uh i don't i won't say it's bureaucracy but it's a lot of things you need to go through in a big company sometimes communication could be really slow 
and also we are it's an energy company so it's also linked to a lot of clients so the communications between you and the clients are also really important and sometimes they could be slow and then they the project could be blocked because of them so it's sometimes it's really difficult to push something through mm. compared to small or like startup or more unconventional companies yeah what is uh, one misconception about your job or your industry so the energy industry mm. that people typically get wrong i think yeah first thing is like when you see a trader positioned you feel like oh my god that must be like doing some Head like hedging job or like you guys must be like sitting with a lot of screen like we do have a lot of screen but like not like tracking the stock market and like trying to catch the the height but we are still engineers mainly in our department even though we are trading so it's still important to understand the the mechanism behind the energy so for instance we are uh, really uh, we produce mainly hydropowers so you need to understand how turbine works for instance and you need to know how wind farm works uh, as well because you need to do the forecasting so it's not like we are trading on the stock stuff like that uh, but it's still an energy engineering job i would say uh, yeah so you also forecast how like what kind of energies are going to be produced based on the wind or yeah is you also need to get some resource from like uh weather mm. uh, informations from other resources to know how much wind's gonna blow tomorrow and predict the production of it oh mm. that's that's interesting yeah it, it's really fun it, because it also changes every day and the markets also change every day uh i think that's one really fun example that i can think about now it's i think what's last year the price goes negative in the in assistance that's because the next day the solar production was too much mm. so when price goes negative that means when you are using electricity they are actually paying you so it's like you're not paying for using electricity you are actually getting paid by turning on your heater stuff like that <laughs> yeah so that was that's i i really enjoy it like i think energy market is super fun hmm. is there any source of energy that people don't know about usually or that maybe you were surprised by not in my company we are mainly using like the main sources hmm. uh, like hydro nuclear uh, solar wind maybe There's on another surface in the uh, in the power grid. Mm. Uh, it's called ancillary surface. So it's kind of the surface to balancing out the electricity grid. So it's like a buffer for the electricity grid to maintain the same frequency for the for the grid to operate mm. in. So, for instance, battery can do that. And now it's something called demand response can do that as well. So that's from your That could be from your electric uh, electric car as well. So if you connect to the if you connect your electric car to a charger, and then they can also kind of using your battery from your electric car to balance the grid. Oh, so to put energy in there when they have more and then mm -hmm. take it out if yeah. they have less. Yes. What advice would you give someone looking for their first job in your industry? I think if if it, if we are talking about energy industry, it's super broad. Like mm. you can do any kind of engineering stuff in the energy, and maybe not even and and uh, engineering related. But I think just 
probably be open-minded to take any kind of opportunity you can have and understand it a little bit more and don't be afraid for changes because energy is so many different resources and it's also really easy to switch from one to another like you can maybe work for a wind power uh, company now, but maybe next day you can work for a hydropower company. Mm. That's also energy industry. So even though they, they sound super different, but there must be something similar to each other. So be open-minded to take any kind of opportunity that you have. Yeah. So get your foot in the door where it's easy and then you can switch to. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And. What are some other industries where you could work as an energy engineer? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I think you can also work as a consultant mm. easily, uh, giving advices to companies that they need maybe uh, sustainable solutions for mm. their building, for their factory, stuff like that. I think that's probably, yeah, it, because energy industry is also quite broad. So um, there's so many things you can do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For the fresh engineers mm -hmm. watching this or listening to this, when do you think it's time to switch jobs, whether that's you know, switching roles at a, mm -hmm. in, within a company or even going to a different company? What are some of the signs that you could, mm -hmm. could look for? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. You will actually know when is the time to switch when you feel stuck. Like uh, that in terms, like if you feel like, oh, my role is not challenging enough for me anymore. I feel like I cannot, there's not so much that I can learn from it. That's one side. Mm -hmm. And the other side is like, if you don't like the environment of the working space, I think that's super important. It's not like if you don't like one colleague and you quit, it's not like that, but it's more like you can feel the vibe. If the environment is encouraging you to grow or not, if you have some conflicts, how your manager or your colleagues solve the conflict. Are they supportive? Are they encouraging you to grow? Are, you, are they encouraging you to switch jobs, stuff like that? Are they providing you the resource that you need for uh, become better? I think that's also important. If they don't, then probably there's also time to change. Hmm. I'm, I'm always interested mm -hmm. to hear how engineers are you know, in their personal life. Mm -hmm. You're still an engineer, you know? Are there any ways in which being an engineer has impacted your personal life? Like anything besides your studies and your work? Is there anything you think about differently or do differently? Actually, that's a really interesting example that I have. Uh, it's a bit sad that a friend of mine, uh, she recently broke up with her boyfriend. Mm. And then she was thinking about, oh, should I take him back? Something like that. Like different, she was thinking a lot and like uh, also a little bit like doubtful about his, herself. And then I told her like, oh, maybe you should have a checklist. <laughs> like, you should list down something which are important for you. And maybe if he checked like 80% of them, then you can take him back. And she was saying, oh, you are so engineer. Like, how can you have a checklist for this? But I think that's reasonable. Like, <laughs> it's easier to decide things like for me at least. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, checklists are a big thing in engineering. Yeah, right. I think, and, and maybe a protocol or something like that. It's always nice to follow some instructions, you know, <laughs> make life easier. Like, you don't need to think too much. It's funny. It's like, what are your career goals going forward? Where do you see yourself in, let's say, five years? Mm. It's always a bit tricky, but um, I think because now my role is involved a little bit managing 
mm-hmm. uh, in terms of project and also people. And I think that's actually a super difficult skills that it's not easy to learn from your study. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoy it. Uh, I'm learning still and I'm like tuning myself all the time, asking advice from people who are more senior or having more experience. So if I have chance, I would probably also go for more like managing positions mm-hmm. in my future. Maybe perhaps jumping into other energy industry, like using different technology. Now I understand hydropower a bit more uh, than the other technology, but maybe it's also nice to learn a bit about wind power or maybe even jump back to nuclear production again, which is now also a popular topic again. What kind of managing do you do now? Uh, it's more like managing projects. I need mm-hmm. to, uh, to do project management. And also I need to, for instance, dedicate work to my colleagues, like under so one thing is understand their strengths and understand what they want to learn. And I found it's a bit difficult to find a balance like, oh, should I assign this project for him because he's good at it? Or should I assign this one to the others because they want to learn for it? And it also depends on the timeline of the project, like how fast you want to finish it, but you also want to let your people grow. So it's a bit different, but I think Communication, transparent communication helps a lot. Like, so I talk to them often like, oh, how do you feel about your role now? How do you feel your task now? Do you need some help? Do you think you want to focus on this more? Can we make it on time? Stuff like that. Let's end with some rapid fire question. Okay. (laughs) So you don't have to answer quickly, but it's encouraged. All right. (laughs) But you can also think if you need to. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So what was the best and the worst class or project that you had in university the worst or the best a project or a subject yeah a oh, subject also works yeah. yeah okay there's one that i did really terribly i think it's called diffusion and phase changes for material science mm-hmm. and i only get c minus because the teacher is super difficult like the subject is difficult the, the teacher is difficult as well and i think we have 120 students there and only maybe half of us passed and i got c minus which I'm really grateful that I don't need to do it again. We don't have re-exam in Taiwan. It's only one time, one chance. So if you fail, then you need to redo it, the whole courses. But then since I feel really bad about, like, I only got C-. minus, So I, I, I took a kind of like part-time job mm. to do the video recording for the courses to make it into online courses. So I was there holding the camera and recording the course again and think about that maybe I can learn again from the courses but turns out not because it was always super early in like in the morning at 8 a.m. the course started at 8 a.m. so I sometimes just fall asleep when I was recording it <laughs> so I did not actually learn it again oh. yeah so it's still one of the subjects that I hate <laughs> yeah there's these subjects that yeah uh, what is your favorite book as uh, until now, it's still like I think Invisible Women. It's about uh, oh, yeah, that one's really good. I love it so much. Yeah. Talking about gender, like data gender bias. Yeah. What is your favorite time of the day? <laughs> I think it's in the morning after a shower when I have breakfast. Okay, it's very yeah. specific. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, what is your favorite blog or podcast? My favorite one, I think it's uh, it's called Dear Sugar. It's talking about 
other people's problem in their relationship, like relationship in terms of like friendship or like relationship at their job or their romantic relationship, relationship with family. So they receive letters from the the listener, and there's two a host that they are both authors, and they talk about how to solve this problem. They also invite guests over. Sometimes they are psychiatrists and stuff like that, other authors or journalists as well. Yeah, that's really inspiring. But also, I recently really like it. It's called it's from BBC uh, podcast. It's called Happy Pot. So they talk about happy news happening around the world, and that's also really nice. Yeah, not only the like wars or crime stuff like that. They talk about happy news. Yeah, <laughs> like that. Yeah. And now my favorite question to ask: uh, okay. If you had to completely abandon your current job and career and do something entirely different, yeah. what would you do? I think I could, I would probably be a barista because I love coffee. Or uh, I'm gonna open a bookstore. Yes, <laughs> or both. Actually. Yeah, or both at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Yeah, so it's been amazing to have you. Thank you. Thanks so much for being on the show. Of course. For anyone who wants to learn more about you mm. or talk to you after this, where can they find you? Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. I also have an Instagram account that I uh, post the like the music that I like or the cafe that I like and some picture that I took. So you can also follow me on that Instagram account. Okay, perfect. Yeah, we'll link all of that. Okay, thank you. And yeah, so thank you so much for being here and thank you so much for listening. We did it. Yay. That was amazing, wasn't it? My favorite thing I learned in this episode today was finding out that energy trading exists in the first place and that it's a highly technical job that's very different from the other types of trading I know, like stock trading. I would have never guessed. So thank you again, Yushuan Lee, for coming onto the show and sharing your story. You can find the show notes for this episode on freshengineer.io slash podcast slash three, including links to everything we talked about today. Next week, I will talk to a traffic engineer about what it's like to work for the government, how traffic is monitored to prevent congestion, and how to become an engineering manager. Subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcast so you don't miss it. And here's already a little sneak peek. And at first, I wasn't even an engineering major. I entered college as a music major. I was, I was very serious about music at the time. I think a lot of our decisions end up being influenced by the times we live in. I was in college around when uh, the Great Recession was occurring. And it was pretty apparent to me that as much as I loved music and I knew I wasn't going to be the next Mozart, it probably would have been smart to change majors and actually study something that I'll be able to live comfortably and reach other goals in my life. So I didn't make the hard decision at the time to change my major. Thanks for tuning in to the Fresh Engineer podcast, where fresh engineers share their stories. 